You're listening to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we talk to some of the smartest entrepreneurs and fastest growing brands on the market today. I'm your host, Laurel Mintz, a reformed corporate M&A attorney who founded award-winning LA-based marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We've elevated some of the world's biggest brands from Facebook, Paw Patrol, and Verizon to innovative startups you haven't even heard of yet. Are you ready to elevate your brand? Keep listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I'm joined today by Jen McKnight, who is the president of Bright Future Foods, which is the company that makes Airly. Jen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So I met you and the team at the at the expo, and there were a lot of new products out there, and I had not come across yours before, and I have to say it stopped me dead in my tracks. It was so good. Excellent. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> but for the rest of our audience that may not know what Early is, um, just tell us a little bit about the products. Yeah, sure thing. So last year, we launched Early, which is the world's first climate positive snack to remove greenhouse gas from the air. So every single box of our crackers uh, actually removes greenhouse gases from the air, and we put our footprint right on pack. So you know when you pick this up, how many grams of CO2 you just removed from the air. It's so interesting. I've just become much more aware of CO2 um, in my own body because uh, Lumen, I don't know if you're familiar with this brand, but that's what they track in terms of what you're emitting and how you burn fat and and, um, carbs. It's such an interesting conversation, obviously much more important on a global scale. um, But tell us how you decided to launch this product and make sure that it had that environmental tie-in. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, myself and my co-founders, we were actually hired by Rob Vitale, who's the president of Post Foods, you know, maker of Post Cereal. And he actually had challenged us with, um, go build me a new business that has the potential to disrupt food and beverage. So as you can imagine, as a marketer, it doesn't get more fun than that. Amazing. Uh, so, yeah. So as we were thinking about, you know, the technologies that were out there and kind of where would we have the potential to really, really disrupt, we had a lot of personal passion for the area of sustainability. And so uh, really early became or early was born of, you know, a two word question, which was what if like, what if we could actually remove CO2 from the air? Because the global food supply chain today is responsible for over 25% of global emissions. And only and getting worse, right? Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's an epidemic. Exactly. And we all have to eat, but um, do we have to make food the way we make it today? And so uh, when we first started, we said, you know, what if we could actually help reverse climate change, not just make food that was less bad? And that really sent us down the path of trying to understand, like, how could you actually do something like that? Is it possible? You know, does the technology exist? Um, And that's really how we started. And then we've had the pleasure of working with some of the absolute world leaders when it comes to agriculture and uh, climate change, the intersection of those two. So we work with Dr. Keith Palshin out of Soil Metrics uh, at Colorado State University. Uh, he is a Nobel Prize winner for his work that he did with wow. Al Gore and the UN. That's right. um, yeah. And they actually do the reporting 
uh, for the USDA every year uh, in terms of the U.S. emissions. And so, I mean, when I say world leader, like truly world leader, uh, never in my life have I got to say I get to work with <laughs> It's not a hyperbole. <laughs> yeah, uh, which, you know, I don't have an agricultural background. And so uh, it's been a fascinating journey. And when we sat down with uh, he and his team, you know, we posed that what if question and they weren't quite sure of the answer. But we're sure interested in trying to figure it out. So I think the magic in what we do is we bring these world-leading soil scientists to work directly with our growers, with our farmers. And it's been uh, like, that's really the magic because you have people who have spent decades working on the science and you have multi-generational farmers uh, who, again, you know, are invested in their craft and you bring those two together uh, it's amazing what can actually come out of that. So That's in year incredible. one, yeah, year one, we were able to validate that by looking at every single thing that happens on the farm, um, from the equipment that they drive to the lights they have in their barn to you know the inputs that they put in the soil, we were able to validate that we were actually net negative on our oat farms, that we were removing greenhouse gas from the air. Amazing. Um, yeah, and since that first harvest, we've been able to validate um, not only oats, uh, but wheat. We have sorghum, um, and we're p- feeling pretty darn good about our ability to get there on corn. It's such a fantastic narrative, and I, I love that it starts with such a simple question, because I think so many entrepreneurs out there um, are scared to ask that question, right? They want um, a solid answer or they want to understand what the outcomes are al- already going to be. And when you're trying to disrupt, which is what most of us who are visionaries want to do in this world, you have to start with those big, hairy questions of what if. And I, I think that that is a fantastic place to start in any market, right? Obviously, environmentally, so critical. And we're you know almost at a tipping point where we where the reversing is is not even almost possible anymore, but the question is so simple and yet so profound. So thank you for bringing that to us. Absolutely. Um, So I know that you're doing all this great stuff for the world, but I have to say that the flavor profiles, the textures are also unbelievable because, you know, you can make a great product that's great for the world, but if it doesn't taste great and doesn't deliver on the consumer side, then it's, you know, not going to be a success. So share with us a little bit about how you developed the the lines, the different flavor profiles, the textures. I mean, it really felt like I was just eating, honestly, like a Nabisco cracker. Like it had that same crunch, that same flavor profile, that same unctuousness. It felt like I was doing something like a little, a little naughty. And yet I knew <laughs> that the calorie counts were lower and the um, environmental impact was lower. So I felt like I was just like a, a win all the way around. No, you've hit on something really important because uh, fundamentally it doesn't matter how good your product is at saving the world. If it doesn't taste good, um, people will not buy it. So when we, before we ever crafted our first um, you know, piece of food, our first cracker, uh, so Mark is a, who's the, you know, was originally the R&D counterpart as we were developing this, you know, we kind of sat down and talked about like, what does this food need to be to actually you know, be something that we could launch into the world? And one of the things for us that was so incredibly important was that we could not ask the consumer to trade off. So right. the huge untapped market here is people want to vote with their values. They really do. 
Um, however, you can't ask them to trade off on taste or value or convenience. And, you know, one of my kind of nails on a chalkboard um, moments is you know, sometimes people will come back to you and, and they'll give you the classic, well, the consumer says they want that, but do they really? And uh, for me, that is nails on a chalkboard because the consumers have been really clear in what they want. We in the industry just have not done a good job at delivering it. So as we thought about crafting the food itself, um, we started from a place of this has to be a product that's accessible to everybody because there are a lot of wonderful brands out there doing great things. Um, but respectfully, you know, the average consumer may not be able to pay $8 for a box of crackers. Right. So you got to meet them where they're at. So when we thought about the food that we were developing, we very specifically made it um, very accessible. When you look at the ingredient deck, um, you know, we're not kind of that classic natural food that has, you know, the artisanally grown, fill in the blank, romanticized ingredient from halfway around the world. <laughs> you know, we, we very deliberately went after the most popular flavors that were out there. You know, when it's in savory, people want cheese. When you're sweet, people want chocolate. So very accessible flavor profiles, um, very clean, simple ingredient decks. Um, and we do all of our taste tests before we launch the product versus the market leader. So, you know, we wouldn't have launched if we didn't score as well or better than the Cheez-Its and the goldfish of the world in terms of consumer taste tests. It's really quite a smart approach. I, I agree with you that consumers really at their core want to do better, but they're not going to compromise flavor. They're not going to compromise, uh, or most people aren't going to compromise and spend, you know, twice as much on a snack product that they otherwise would. Some will, right? Um, you know, we we can't say that it's all or nothing, but I think that the, the basic thesis that you came to the table with is so smart, which is just given the better option that's doing better in the world that tastes just as good. I mean, it's, it's really so simple. And I think that that is kind of the overarching from what I keep getting from you and your team is that you just went the most simple direction and simple um, really can make a difference. So I love that. We're gonna take a really, really quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Mexi Craft Tequila Seltzer. It is a top shelf tequila seltzer made with craft tequila from Jalisco, Mexico, real juice and sparkling water. Each can contains a shot and a half of premium Blanco tequila, which y'all know is my favorite, and no more than three grams of sugar for those of you watching that. You can get it in Whole Foods in Southern California or order it online at MexiSeltzer.com. Follow them on IG at MexiSeltzer and use Podcast 20 for 20% off your first order. Thanks for sticking with us. And if you're just tuning in, I am chatting with Jen McKnight, who is the president of Bright Future Foods that makes Airly, which is uh, a fantastic, just snackable product that also is doing good in the world by removing CO2 emissions. Um, have you always been a super mission driven leader? Where does this come from for you personally? Yeah, you know, I... I will say that I have worked on my career on some amazing brands and I've, I've always taken it as a privilege to work on any product that people bring into their household. Because uh, I think anybody that spends time in consumer, you know, packaged goods companies and spends any time with consumers, you just kind of naturally have a respect for the fact that if somebody's bringing them in, you know, bringing you into their household, there's an inherent level of trust there. So. You know, I've always worked on really amazing brands. I think you know this is the first project 
um, where, well, it's a, it's a, it's a few first. First time I've tried to launch a brand from scratch, which is like a completely different world. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and yeah, the first time that I've worked on a product where every single box we sell makes the world a little bit better. Um, and I'll have to say like that for me has been quite a journey. Um, you know, there's a couple of things I would highlight that, you know, it's hard. It's really hard when you're launching a new brand. And the couple of things I would highlight that like give me energy. And these are the things that, you know, I really think about, you know, when you're working those long days, um, when you work on a brand that is mission-based like this, uh, like people in your team just engage in such a different way. Like your agency partners, your manufacturing partners, your farmer partners, like it just, they end up giving you more energy back because, mm -hmm. you know, they, it's not just, you know, an agency client relationship. Like they're in it too. Like, you know, yeah. everybody actually knows that this needs to happen. Um, it hits different, as the kids would say. <laughs> it hits differently. And I, I remember, so uh, Chris Corbin, who heads up our supply chain, I remember watching him really struggle um, with some of our ingredient um, suppliers, because as you can imagine, you know, we're launching something in the middle of a global pandemic, which is tough to do to begin with. We are a new company, so we have tiny volumes. And then on top of that, we're asking our ingredient supplier partners for all this information that nobody else is asking them for because we do our life cycle assessment on every aspect of the product. So Must have made you really, really popular. Exactly. <laughs> and so what was really um, so, so cool to see, though, is, you know, I watched him struggle. And then once we had that first box of crackers, like once people actually saw what we were trying to do, like those same people who wouldn't even answer his calls are now like calling him with like, oh, I see what you're trying to do. And, you know, I have, you know, 16 different ideas for how they can make their ingredient lower footprint. And Amazing. that has been so inspiring. Like as you see how the product hits your partners and the people that are helping you bring it to life in a way that just, you know, not any box of crackers would. So if you're talking to, let's just say you're talking to the industry, the CPG industry specifically in snacks, what are some of the areas and categories that they need to scrutinize more closely to ensure that they aren't doing more damage in a world that frankly can't use much more of it? Yeah. Well, and we talk about ourselves too. Like we really hope to be a lighthouse brand here. Like I recognize that no one company or no one brand, you know, is able to make the kind of difference we need to as an industry. So, you know, it's our hope and intent that while we're the only ones out there with our footprint on the box today, that that's not the case, you know, a year from now, two years from now. That's why we have to be having these conversations and you need to be calling other snack brands to the table and saying like, hey, like maybe you don't have to be a 360, you know, green brand like we are, but at least look at these top three things that are pretty easy fixes. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg so that we can all have a, a little bit more of a positive impact. Well, and what we hope to be, I mean, at the end of the day, we are you know, a capitalist society and it's supply True. and demand. So that's True. really what we're hoping to do with Airly is demonstrate the consumer demand behind this. And so, uh, you know, once we're out there and we show that no consumers are going to vote with their dollars, we fully expect everybody else to jump in as well, too, because I recognize it's not the easiest thing in the world to put your carbon footprint on pack. 
Um, and, you know, I hope that we're the proof point that shows, no, consumers will vote with their dollars. Uh, and you should be putting your carbon footprint on your pack as well. Like I actually, it's a passion point for me, because if you look at the nutrition fact panel, you know, you know, when you pick up this box of crackers, the impact it has on your you know, your personal health. And I think shoppers have a right to know the impact it has on the planet health too. So what can consumer brands or what should they be looking at first? Yeah. So, I mean, the good news is um, I, I think people appreciate just how big a role agriculture has to play. Because if you think about removing CO2 from the air, you know, it goes back to that fifth grade science class, like plants. <laughs> remo- yeah, I, I know. <laughs> plants it's really cute, it. but it's, it's such a visceral memory. You nailed it. I, I know. It. If you want to remove carbon dioxide and the like from the air, um, you know, you're dependent on plants, plants and trees. And, and that's really, uh, you know, we put it out there and thanks to all of our industrial revolution, we figured out ways to put it out there in even bigger volumes. But um, to actually remove it from the air, we're dependent on trees and plants. And so I do see a lot of really great things happening in the industry in terms of people recognizing the impact of some of the industrial farming techniques that have been out there that have really contributed to the problem and not left our soil in a place where it's as healthy and robust as it should be. Um, So the good news is the industry really is moving towards regenerative farming practices. We would argue just do that and take it one step further uh, and make sure that you're actually measuring the impact of that too. Um, Because we do all the regenerative farming practices and then we overlay some of the carbon farming practices where we're actually doing biogeospatial modeling and we're actually looking at every aspect of your greenhouse gas emissions on the farm. Uh, it's so fascinating. Someone- I mean, ag tech yeah. is just, it's its the future, right? I really believe that it's the scientists and the consumer brands like yours that are going to make this future a bit brighter. Um, I, I'm so excited to see what's out there in terms of vertical farming, all of the technology mm-hmm. that you're talking about. You were going to say something else? Oh, no, I, I, I fundamentally agree with what you're saying. There is There are so many really interesting things going on in ag tech right now. Um, and a lot of the big data, it, you know, the advent of big data and to the degree of where now on farm, you're mapping things out to the, you know, within this foot, here's how much uh, fertilizer should be adhered. And I, it will only continue to get better. I love that. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's next for the brand. I know you can't tell us all of the exciting expansion you have on the horizon, but you know, maybe give us a little bit of a sneak peek. Do you have some new flavor profiles, some new expansion? Where can people find you? Yeah, so um, it, it definitely, first of all, come find us. So we're working very aggressively at building out our retailer footprint, but you know, I'll acknowledge we're not everywhere yet. So you can always get us on earlyfoods.com or amazon.com. Um, in addition to that, as we think about building out the portfolio, so we have two new flavors coming out this fall with butter and cinnamon. And then, you know, early we're all about climate-friendly snacking. So you can imagine crackers made a lot of sense as that first step in because it's, sure. you know, it's a fairly short ingredient deck. And it's, you know, one of those categories that, it was indulgent, but also pretty healthy. Um, 
we'd love to actually tackle some of the other spaces of the snacking world as well. We want to make sure that, you know, we have climate friendly solutions for all your snacking needs. Well, I know you can't give away the, uh, the farm, so to speak, no pun intended, <laughs> but we're very excited to, um, to see what's next in terms of which snack categories you're going into. Um, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back. If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably very likely that you've worked with a marketing agency that hasn't really worked out. That's why Elevate My Brand has developed our roadmap to marketing process. We use an extremely data-driven approach to show you exactly what your competitors are doing in the omnichannel space so that we can develop a strategy and tactical approach to success in your marketing. Call us today and let's get mapping. Okay, chatting with my friend Jen McKnight, who is the president of Bright Future Foods, uh, and we are talking about their current product, Airly. Um, how hard was it to come up with the name? You know, our, our heart, we're marketers on the agency side, and I always love to know the branding and marketing story. So share, with that, share that with us, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, that's actually a really interesting journey, because uh, as we were thinking about bringing it to life, it's funny... Um, you know, we worked with a couple of agencies and, you know, we're putting our vision out there and here's what we want to do and how would you suggest we bring it to life? And it tended to be a, a lot of brown craft paper boxes and lots of focus on the farm and the farmer. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's just like there's so many people already in that space. Uh, and we were working with an agency called Clark McDowell. And they actually came to us with the, the early branding. And instead of focusing on the ground and the dirt, they went into the air. And I kind of loved that, you know, because it, it was just different, um, but yet clearly linked to what we do, which is remove CO2 from the air. And they, uh, you know, had kind of brought it to life with the clouds and we liked just the fancifulness of it, but yet that direct link to... You know, airily equals removing bad stuff from the air. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer when you think about the name. But, um, wow, they nailed it on the first shot. That's pretty incredible. Well, uh, let's hope we nailed it. Uh, thankfully, we were actually able to get the uh, registration mark for it, too, So, which is pretty unusual for, you know, a, a newer brand. So it just speaks so to true. there's not a lot of air-ish food brands out there. <laughs> I guess not. Um, I'm a lawyer as well. And so I'm always thinking about, you know, can we own that mark? Because there's nothing worse for a startup brand than spending a bunch of money and time and effort on building a brand. And then you, as an afterthought, go and look on the USPTO and you're like, oh, shit, I can't actually own that. It's owned by Kraft Foods or some other massive brand. And you're like, I'm not fighting that fight, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's really a, a tip and a, a, a tool, I would say, for startup brands as you're building out your branding. Um, messaging, et cetera, make sure that you can actually own it because it's real tough to go back. And also, like you said, you had this like exciting moment, like you were so thrilled about the concept. What a, uh, you know, letting the air out of balloon, the balloon moment would it have been if you were like, well, we can't actually own that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so share with us a little bit about, um, about your history as a, as a founder. This is your first time being um, in this seat and having so much control over the future of, uh, of a brand category. Um, you know, what does that look like for you? And give us a bit of your history. And I said you've worked in consumer for a long time, but give us a little bit more of the details. Yeah, 
Sure thing. So uh, I started life as an engineer. I worked at Procter and Gamble, which is you know they created the what used to be the brand man. Never heard um, of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, you know that's how I ended up you know getting into brand management because I'm like, oh my gosh, I love the fact that you know you engage kind of that left brain analytical rigor of putting together business strategy with the right brain, get in the mind of the consumer, and really you know understand her and excite her. Uh, went back to school, got the MBA, and then uh, spent 11 plus years in big CPG and then ended up uh, moving over to, and it was amazing. Like I have to, I, I can't say enough good things about the experiences that I had, you know, working on big brands with big budgets and then uh, made a transition to, at the time, what was a small company uh, called Premier Nutrition, which is also owned by Post and, or, and, uh, we were growing 50, 60 percent, you know, percent a year. Wow. And that's when I got the bug. I'm like, I can never go back to a mature business, a mature category again. Um, you know, it makes you a really good marketer when you're in a mature category because it's you and a few other large multinationals. And, you know, you guys, in essence, are trying to, you know, it, it grab a piece of share. Uh, it's so much more fun when you are, you know, building the car as you're going down the raceway because you're growing so fast, you know, you're building a company at the same time. So I was hooked and I, I don't think I could ever go back to a big mature business again. Um, but yeah, coming into Airly, as I mentioned, you know, I had the personal relationship with Post from my previous experience. So I was really blessed in the fact that Post gave me this opportunity to act as an entrepreneur, uh, but with the benefit of not having to put my house up for mortgage. <laughs> so, so it's it's a really, really unique opportunity that I've been blessed with. Um, and it's definitely been, it's been a journey because I've never worked on anything where you really, really are starting from scratch and you have to think about you know, things like search engine optimization, like can early actually be found online? Right. Um, you know, and a lot of those things that, you know, when you have an established company and you have a sales force and you have, you know, a brand, some degree of brand awareness, you don't have to deal with. Um, so it's it's been kind of a kick, you know, just in terms of having to learn all of those skills uh, and I think I mentioned, you know, some of the inspirational parts of working on a brand that's so mission based. And I think like that's that's really what keeps you going. Totally. It makes so much sense. I didn't realize you had the engineering background. This makes so much sense that this is the path that you've chosen um, <laughs> because you certainly have. We call it at our agency, we call it being center brain. So inspired by creative, but truly driven by data. And so that engineer brain moving into CPG and brand building, uh, I mean, that's like the, that's the be all end all of center brain did did this. <laughs> I love that for you. Um, in the last few minutes we have left, I like to flip the script and talk more about you as a human. So this is what we call our quick fire. And so just answer whatever is top of mind. Ready? Sure. All right. First question is, what's the one thing you could not have lived without during the pandemic and you can't say your own product? <laughs> uh, is it really sad to say Netflix? No, we've gotten that answer a few times. We've gotten a lot of wine <laughs> dogs. We've gotten a lot of, a lot of silly answers and fun answers. Um, what Actually, is your... probably the, the honest answer would be my kitty cat. Oh, she there was... you go. 
It was just nice having a little something in your house purring during all of that. I, we have two fur babies on our side, so I totally get that. Um, at night, what is your go-to vice of choice? Oh, chocolate. (laughs) Cocktail of choice. If you drink. You know, I'm not a big cocktail drinker, uh, but I do like a really good glass of red wine. Nice. Uh, last question is, uh, actually I have two more. One, if you could wave a magic wand and make anything happen for Airly, what would that look like? I would like us to be on every store shelf in America. I probably could answer that one for you. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, and lastly, what is your favorite word and why? This could be something that's had real meaning to you over time or something that just pops in your head for this conversation. Okay, you're going to laugh, but actually, syzygy. Uh, my my mom and I are very close. She's a big word person, and uh, it's a great Scrabble word. I don't think I know what syzygy means. You know, I at one point did. It's like, it's an astrolo- It's an astronomy-related word, but it's S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y, and oh. it was always just a fun one to pull out of your back pocket if you needed a fun word. Especially on a triple word score. I'm about that. (laughs) Um, Lastly, wrapping up, any final words of wisdom, tips and tricks, anything you want to share with our audience about how to start a CPG brand or how to make change um, in consumer? Uh, You know, words of wisdom are tough. There's probably a few things that, you know, I've kind of come up with on this that I'll share. Um, And some are more tactical and some are more strategic. Uh, I would say if you've got a new idea, the first thing you should do is try to make it as real as possible. And I know that sounds really silly, but um, as we were going through Airly, when we talked about it as a concept, you got one level of engagement. When you had a physical box in front of somebody with a prototype, it's a completely different discussion. Totally. So I would say if you're in your early days and you really have a vision, figure out how you get that prototype, how you get a physical something in front of somebody as soon as you possibly can, because that's when you're going to get the best feedback. And that's when you're going to get the best engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I would also say one of the other things we did that I do not regret at all is my co-founders and I sat down before we ever created the first box of crackers and aligned on what was our mission and what were our values. Because, uh, you know, when you're moving a mile a minute, if you don't have that kind of framework of what kind of company do you want to be when you grow up, uh, it makes the decision making a whole lot harder. So spend the time up front to agree on what's the stuff that really matters to you. And then I would say the last piece of advice that I will give, and it's super tactical and silly, but if you want to sell online, before you ever decide on what your product name is, like go into Amazon and search for it. <laughs> uh, Smart. We, Make sure that you can differentiate. We, lo- I, I, I would love to say we were smart and we thought about this. We didn't. We lucked into it. We completely lucked into it. But in this <laughs> world, yeah, in this digital world of being able to find your product um, online for shopping or just online in general. Um, do not underestimate if it's brand new, how much effort and cost it's going to take to start to move yourself up so that people can actually find you. And if you can start with a brand name that's a little unique um, and easier to find to begin with, it makes that journey a lot easier. Like I said, I would love to think I would love to say we thought about that. We lucked into it. <laughs> 
Well, I think that, you know, the honesty is really helpful for our audience because some of them are, are further along in their journey and others are just in that startup, like figuring out what their path forward looks like. So these are all super helpful in terms of tips and tricks. And clearly you've built a really smart brand with people that actually care about the kind of impact their brand's having on our environment and doing positive things in the world. So Jen, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. Make sure you check out Early Foods. uh, And of course, stay tuned for more from Elevate Your Brand coming up next.